Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning. This is Cheryl Esposito with Leading Conversations, and today we are very fortunate to have with us a very special guest, Otto Sharmer, who is the author of Theory U, Leading from the Future as it Emerges, and co-author of the book Presence, an Exploration of Profound Change in People, Organizations, and Society. Um, today's show is titled The Blind Spot of Leadership, and Otto's going to help us identify some of those and some ways out of those blind spots. Good morning, Otto. Good morning, Cheryl. How are you doing today? Very good. How are you? I'm great. Where are you today? Um, I am uh, uh, just returning from Cambridge uh, and am in my uh, home office in Arlington. Oh, nice. And um, taking care of my kids downstairs and doing a radio interview upstairs. <laughs> multitasking That's as right. usual. Yes. Yeah, Otto, I know about your multitasking. <laughs> You're a very busy person. Um, now, Otto, you are a senior lecturer at MIT, mm-hmm. and um, you're also founding chair of a new institute, the Presencing Institute, which I want to get to in a moment. I want to let um, our audience know that you know you've been doing consulting to global companies for a very long time, and that you have designed and delivered award-winning leadership programs for organizations throughout the world. Um, You've, how long have you been associated with MIT? Uh, for the past 11 years. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. So you are really a researcher at heart, right? Well, I am an action researcher, uh-huh. which means that, um, uh, yes, um, uh, uh, what I do is a lot about kind of creating new kind of knowledge, but what I'm particularly interested in is not just knowledge for academics or theory, but knowledge for action. And that actually requires a little different um, production process itself um, than just uh, observing and reading. It, it, um, it involves some more hands-on involvement, and that whole field of action research was um, founded by an uh, eminent researcher called uh, Kurt Lewin. And um, so the best way of summarize the field and how he did it is that you cannot understand a system unless you change it. So that's um, that that that's the the kind of research I'm doing. Kind of it it starts from that starting point. You cannot understand understand the system unless you change it, and that means for me as a researcher that I'm spending part of my time on campus and part of my time off campus. Right, right, with your clients. So tell me, um, well, let's first let's start with defining theory U, so that people have the context for what this is. Defining theory U, well, um, theory U, you could say, is um, it's an approach to leadership that looks at something we all are very familiar with, which is the whole field of leadership and change and innovation, mm-hmm. from a slightly new angle. Mm-hmm. And um, the angle is that um, has to do with... Um, what I believe to be a blind spot in leadership. And the blind spot in leadership um, has to do with that maybe the biggest leverage in what we do and how we can be effective as change makers, change agents, or leaders mm-hmm. uh, has not only to do with what we do and how we do it, the process that we apply, but with the inner place from where we operate. It's the source uh, from where our actions are coming into being. And the first time I came across this, um, this third dimension, you could say, it's not the what, it's not the how, but it's the source dimension of our actions. The first time I came across that was actually in talking with a practitioner. And um, it's the uh, late Bill O'Brien, the late CEO of Hanover Insurance. And after he went um, through all his successes and failures uh, of his change work and leadership work as a CEO, I asked him, Bill, what for you personally has been the most important learning experience uh, in all these years? And he responded by saying, the success of an intervention is 
the interior condi- uh, the, the success of an intervention depends on the interior condition of the intervener. So I say that again. The success of an intervention, the success of what I do as a leader, right. depends on the interior condition of the intervener. D- depends on the interior uh, condition of the leader. Depends on the inner place from where I operate. Yes. And when I heard that, I thought, boy, uh, in leadership, we know everything about the what. We yeah. know a lot about the how. Yeah. But what do we know about this inner place from where I operate? And it, so that was the moment when it really dawned on me that there's a whole other dimension of leadership and change, which in a way has been always um, be part of the real leadership work, mm-hmm. and yet very often it has not been really attended to. But um, so that's, that's how I, I got first into that. Oh, that's fascinating. And you're right, it has always been at the core of leadership work, but not attended to, and, and not only not attended to, but pushed away. Um, I think it's been rejected so much mm-hmm. by um, leaders in organizations. And, and, you know, I mean, some of it, I think, comes from the idea that, oh, we don't want to get too personal or we don't want to get touchy-feely, which is that phrase that, you know, everybody That's uses. Right. Um, and, but I think the other piece of it is people felt like, well, you can't measure that. You can't measure that, and so we shouldn't be looking at it because we have to have results, and results are something you can measure. So when you have people who say things like that to you, how do you what do you say to them? Well, um, what you can measure is results, um, and um, whether and what all these um, uh, people I have been interacting with, or for example, uh, Bill O'Brien, um, uh, would say is that uh, if you are more skilled, the more masterful and the more skillful you are in in navigating the inner place from where you operate, right. the more effective you will be in really challenging change and innovation situations to navigate through and to lead through such a situation. Mm-hmm. So the more experienced leaders have, the more that kind of statement seem to be either uh, confirmed or uh, be articulated in one way or the other. And um, yes, it is true that we cannot, so if I say, it's a different type of data, so if I put a a video camera in front of a group and I can tape, well, I can tape what uh, people do, I can tape the process they use in studying kind of the, um, the sequence of certain activities, but that's true, I cannot see um, the uh, the inner place from where they operate readily available, and uh, one of um, uh, one of the, the really experienced practitioner that um, I intervie- interviewed with around this very topic, he told me, well, what's most important in in profound change work is least visible to the eye. <laughs> so what matters most in this type of work is least visible to the eye. So that means, um, and yet, kind of this, the scientific mind in us that I much appreciate and embrace yeah. um, asks, okay, but what is it then, and how can we get our arms around that? And that's really the real, um, the real journey of discovery and learning that I have been on, because um, just to claim that this is not visible is not satisfying to me either. Right. And what I try to describe in theory U is a language that allows um, uh, practitioners and also researchers to put language around this deeper territory of leadership that formerly was mostly invisible to the eye. Hmm. Well, let's talk about this journey that you're speaking of. Um, you, you talk about theory U being one process but five movements. Can you share that? Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to share that, but uh, maybe I um, um, I give you a little um, story uh, up oh. front, which which really um, simplifies also these five movements oh, great. into um, into three movements, which really are at the core of that uh, process. And it's a story that. Um, um, demonstrates also part of the research 
um, that I have been doing. So one element was action research, which is real participation in change projects and communities and companies and uh, organizations. But another one is really to go into very experienced uh, practitioners uh, to learn from their story and, uh, and, and conducting uh, dialogue uh, interviews with them. And one of them, um, I conducted, uh, the one uh, I'm going to share the story about, um, led me and my colleague Joseph Jaworski, mm. with whom I did um, together part of these um, interviews, yes. led us to um, uh, Brian Arthur, who is yes. um, the um, uh, leading, uh, the founding the, the founding chair of the economics group at the Santa Fe Institute and yeah. formerly from the um, from Stanford. And um, he, uh, Brian had, um, had written an article um, uh, prior to that in HBR where he used the term precognition. He basically yeah. said, you know what, with all these changes that, that are going on in our environment and all the different uh, disruptive um, uh, changes really in, in the business and the social environment, companies to be successful need a new cognitive capacity. And um, that kind of insight really, um, having spent a decade of work on the area of organizational learning, for me personally, the main insight really was that there are two different sources of learning. One is learning from the experiences of the past. And that's virtually uh, the model that all our organizational learning theories are built around and built upon. While in working with real leaders and real change makers across industries, I noticed that very often in real life, leaders are confronted today with situations that you cannot respond to successfully just by reflecting um, on the experiences of the past. Right. So, uh, but instead, what is required from leaders in these of uh, of these institutions in these situations is to tune into an emerging possibility and opportunity to get a sense of what it is that's uh, what's the nature of change that's around you to happen that's reshaping the space in which you operate, and then reposition yourself so that you become an active uh, force. Uh, within that larger change and not just uh, a victim by it. So that kind of, um, that observation opened up the question in me, is there a second source of learning which would not be learning from the past as we know it and as we know it embodied in all our organizational learning theories, but uh, a second source of learning that's based on learning from the future as it emerges. So learning from the future as it emerges in the now. Now, with that question, um, uh, I went um, together with Joseph Jaworski to Brian Arthur, and we asked him, okay, when you, say, when, when, you, um, when you talk about this precognition or learning from the future, tell us, um, and um, if I want to learn how to do it, and if I want um, as a leader, as an individual leader or as an organization, so tell me, what's the process that I have to use in order to activate this, this other source of learning? And um, he responded to us by first, first off kind of drawing a distinction between two fundamental different types of cognition. And the first one he um, referred to, he more or less, he didn't use the word, but he more or less said it's like kind of downloading it's downloading an existing mental frame. It's downloading an existing solution that's already kind of um, uh, developed and that you apply onto a situation. So that's one, and that's that type of model, the standard cognition. That's basically what we are acquainted with in schools and that in, in, in our institutions of education right. is referred to as learning. But according to him, according to Brian Arthur, Every profound innovation in science, society, or business is not based on this type of cognition, but on a, a deeper type of cognition that he referred to with the word knowing. And then again, um, I asked him, okay, but now how do you activate this other uh, source? And he basically then walked us, and I'm 
um, I'm, I'm cutting down here four hours of conversation sure. into four <laughs> minutes, but he basically walked us through a sequence of three core activities that had a very familiar ring because we had heard many entrepreneurs and practitioners um, sharing their story, uh, which more or less kind of followed along this line. And the three core activities that were nicely kind of that, that um, Brian Arthur described and that nicely summarized this kind of innovator's journey were, number one, observe, observe, observe. Hmm. So the first core activity he um, called observe, observe, observe. Mm -hmm. What does it mean, observe, observe, observe? It means, first off, stop downloading. Mm. Stop downloading, stop kind of continuing your existing mental framework. Stop and listen. Stop and pay attention to what's really going on. And then put yourself in the place of highest potential. Put yourself into the places that matter most to the situation you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So put yourself into the real, uh, talk with the real people. So in business, it would be the customers, it would be partners, it would be right. people in context within our own industry, but maybe also outside, right. that can be most helpful for us to understand kind of the situation and the challenge uh, and the opportunity we are, um, we are dealing with. Mm. So that's number one, observe, observe, observe. And then the second movement he um, referred to as retreat and reflect, mm. allow the inner knowing to emerge. Mm. He also called that go to the inner place of silence where knowing comes to surface. So that's almost the opposite of the first one, right? The right, first one right. gets you out into the chaos of activities right. and you talk with the real people, the real operators and so forth. Now in the second one, you retreat, reflect, you go to an inner place of stillness. You, you listen to everything that you observed, everything that you experienced in your observation journey, but you listen, uh, you listen to all of that from a point of view that is asking, so what really is it that's about to emerge here in this situation? That's what really is it that's wanting to emerge? And what could be possibly my or our role to help it to come into reality more fully? So how does that connect, in other words, to my future journey, to, our, right. to, to, to the right. journey of our future work in life? And then, so that's kind of the second space, the second movement, right. uh, the second core activity. And then once maybe a spark, an idea or so comes up, number three, act in an instant. So that was kind of the original phrasing that he used that I liked a lot, kind of act in an instant, which really means, uh, so once kind of that, that intention and that kind of inspiration of the future is taking shape in your mind, do not take that into, okay, now we have to write a business plan, or even worse, now we have to write a grant proposal or something. So rather than kind of doing it, putting it into an abstract kind of planning, you move it into reality much more quickly, much more hands-on, and you look, and you allow to to you create a, uh, uh, you do something that's doable and that allows you to explore that future opportunity by doing something rather than just by reflecting on it. So that's so the third space is all about rapid cycle prototyping, something that's well known and well practiced by designers, mm -hmm. but that for uh, all of us who came through either a more engineering, science, or um, um, management type of education or economic kind of uh, uh, education. Um, so we have been, in a way, all trained the wrong way because for <laughs> us, it's first kind of, um, uh, you have to analyze everything mm. uh, to death, more or less, and right, then right. Uh, once you've figured everything out, then you kind of implement whatever the... Um, right. A plan of action is, but that's not prototyping. Is not about implementation. Right. Prototype, prototyping is about linking the wisdom of our head, heart, and hand in a way 
that allows us to become part of a larger creation process and allows us to tap into the wisdom and the knowledge and the creativity that's already embedded in user communities and other communities we are dealing with and that we activate by this learning by doing. So those are uh, observe, observe, observe. Mm-hmm. Um, the inner stillness, retreat and reflect, allow the inner knowing to emerge and then act in an instant, kind of move it into rapid cycle prototyping. Those are three movements that, in a nutshell, describe um, the U process, and that I have, um, and, the, and that in the U theory, I describe how they would be, how, how it is possible to um, uh, operate from these deeper sources of creativity, even though, um, we are kind of in larger institutions because the general um, the general experience um, really is. I mean, you you present that to experienced practitioners, and they all say, "Yep, um, that's that's right." So that's I have been there. I know people, kind right. of highly creative people, who operate that way. Right. I even in my own life have when I have my create moments, I can operate uh, like that. And then you ask the next question, okay. And how is your um, everyday institutional practice? What does, look, what does that look like? Um, and then most people go, oh, no, so that's, that's much more like this downloading thing you described earlier. Right, right. So that's an experience for many, right? And that's an right. experience that really characterizes where we are in the world today, which is that we, as a global system, produ- collectively produce results that nobody wants. Uh, and how to kind of access on these larger systems, be that a group, be that an institution, or be that a larger global system, um, how, how it would be possible to activate these deeper levels of knowing and operating, that's really what, what the theory U is about. Sorry for that long response. No, that's, that's great because that really gives an in-depth um, sense for people of what this is about. And I'm curious to know, um, when you work with clients, and most of your clients, of course, they, they self-sort, right? If they want what you have, then they're more willing to hear what you're, what you're talking about. But, you know, what is, just, just briefly, what is their reaction to your saying, well, that way you've been doing it has gotten you where you are. You're not happy with that. This is a different way of doing things. Are you willing to try it? Um, do they readily say, sure, we can try this in our organization, or do they say, this is never going to fly? Well, I mean, that's, um, I mean, I'm quite aware of, when I talk about my experience, that's a very small window of the overall reality, and kind of, there's, of course, a process of self-selection, right? So people... Uh, that turn to me um, uh, and that I'm dealing with sometimes are interested in that particular methodology. But often and really in all the main uh, first uh, couple of years in my kind of practical organizational work, it was really more focused on on practical results and then the method really came second. And that's, that's really my... Um, my experience that the only way really to to do this kind of deeper work is when you and the best I'm not saying the only way but the best way the only way probably that avoids some some um, um, some pushback is to really uh, tie it to uh, significant challenges that communities or institutions yeah. have where um, everyone involved knows that more of the same isn't getting us there. Right, right. right. So once, and that's really the starting point, and that's, so that's, you could say, that's um, the stop, right, in that process, stopping right. and open right. up and doing the observe, observe, observe. Right, That's right. the starting point. That's if you don't hit point. that one, if you just kind of come from, from your own, I think um, the world has been, and we have been through many decades of change ideologies, where kind of solutions were imposed on people with a relatively little success. Right. right? right. So we don't need more of that. We I don't need more of that. I certainly sure. don't want to contribute or, yeah. be, or, or be part of that. 
Um, well, you were really moving people away from that, and I think that this is its pretty revolutionary thinking, and you've had some successes with organizations, corporate as well as um, large societal organizations. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back from this break. We'll be back in a minute. The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back on Leading Conversations, talking with Otto Scharmer today, the author of Theory U, Leading from the Future as it Emerges. What a great title. <laughs> I love this title, Otto. Um, and, and I think for most people, it probably catches them off guard a little bit. Leading from the future. Now, that's interesting. So you've used Theory U. You, you just spent some time explaining to us in a, eloquently what this is and how, um, how people use it. Now, you've worked with clients, both corporate and um, large societal organizations. Can you give us just a couple of examples of how this has worked in the work you've done? Well, um, I think uh, so far I, I have been doing work in uh, three um, three areas. Uh, one is the um, um, uh, innovation projects, right? So where uh, in uh, in companies. Um, significant innovation challenges are um, um, are approached in a different way, kind of by using the three movements that I just uh, described. Right. By really right. observe, observe means going out in small groups and, and really kind of going to all these places, taking everything in, and then um, uh, after the um, a retreat portion to really. Uh, move into prototyping um, uh, very quickly and then um, present kind of living examples rather than just ideas about what could be done okay. uh, in the end. So a second one is, so innovation is one, a second one is um, multi-sector work. So we're very often really in, in, uh, uh, in challenges we have in communities today the problem is not only within institutions. The problem is how our various institutions and sectors interact. Ah. And um, if you look at the real challenges today in the world, like education, health, sustainability, um, peace and conflict, and, and, and all these things, um, no, one, um, uh, no one knows exactly, maybe, how the solution, uh, how a, a really 21st century type of solution to these challenges on a global scale look like. But one thing we all know um, um, quite well, and that is that the only way to, um, to get to a sustainable solution in all these areas is by involving all the key stakeholders, 
which is not just the business players, not just the business community, but also kind of the, the governmental players and also the NGO players, the mm-hmm. civil society. And that in order to kind of develop news, uh, whether that's kind of um, climate change or other challenges, in order to really get at the root of the systemic issues we are dealing with, really in every country today, mm-hmm. um, uh, we need to pull together from all these different sectors and come up with um, a shared understanding and, and different ways of um, acting and innovating together. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the second area because uh, very often um, we don't have these places. And if these uh, different players come together, they have only they don't have good ways to talk and think and particularly act together. There's maybe right. a debate and maybe exchange of views, but then this is it. It does not result in action and prototyping together. Right. So that's uh, where I do um, uh, projects partly on a more kind of community or country level, like uh, a project I'm supporting in, in Zambia on uh, collective action on HIV and AIDS. Uh, or uh, where I focus on more on the leadership development angle, like um, a project called Elias, Emerging Leaders Innovate Across Sectors, that looks at the, the high potential younger leaders in global institutions today and um, uh, networks that brings them together across sectors and takes them on a huge journey, kind of that includes the observe, observe, and kind of uh, the uh, accessing your deeper inner source of knowing and then doing something together that helps the, um, to create a more sustainable a more sustainable world around us um, and within us. Um, so that's uh, a second um, uh, area I have been um, active in, and that that pilot that brought together 12, 15 global institutions um, uh, and their younger leaders. So that has been another area I have been um, focusing on. What because if, if the people don't know each other, if the, the people who will be in key positions in the next decade, if they have a very narrow network, if they don't know the people from the other sectors, from the other side of the fence, so to speak, well, how do we expect that uh, when probably the breakdowns we are going to see in the next couple of years, when they happen, that we turn that into innovations rather than more yeah. violence? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that, that has been uh, another little um, uh, area I have been focusing on. And the third one is um, uh, leadership um, development uh, kind of uh, co- blended with systems change in institutions. And I have been re- really surprised, particularly in working with uh, younger leaders. With younger leaders, I mean people who are kind of two, three levels down below the board level but right. are on a fast uh, are considered um, uh, uh, high potentials in right. their own uh, organizations. So how open uh, people today are towards that, um, uh, uh, towards that kind of process mm-hmm. that I briefly indicated yes. with the observe, access your deeper inner knowing, and right. then um, the prototyping. And um, I, I would have, I mean, it's one thing for when you, for example, have an open enrollment program or somewhere, then people tend to show up who are really interested and who like the kind of thing you're doing. But when you have mandatory programs, for example, um, in global um, companies, and uh, then I would have expected that when you get to the deeper inner work and kind of the, the consciousness and deeper reflective and contemplative work, that there would be more pushback, really, right? Yeah, because yeah. for some people, they like that. Other people, they, right. you know, they never heard about that or think right. little of it. Right. And very much to my surprise, there's no pushback. That's very interesting. And it's, it, it, it's really interesting, and I'm almost puzzled with that. And the only explanation I have for that is that there is a much higher, a huge, hugely bigger potential to, to today out in the world 
for this kind of deeper change, mm-hmm. you know, for a, a different approach to change than mm-hmm. we usually think there is. It's just a space that's hanging out there and it's not being nurtured. It's not being capitalized on. Right. And I also see that at MIT, kind of each year, I have a larger group of the students and mid-career executives who come in and say, well, uh, when we talk about career aspirations, who say, well, I want to have a real career, kind of really successful professional, and at the same time, I want to contribute to my community right. before right. retirement. Right, right, right. And that's, I think that's a new phenomenon. It gives rise to new organizations that we see, to new careers. Kind of, we see a blending of things that used to be more separate in the past, yeah. and that's very interesting. Well, I think that, you know, when I look at the generation and I look at the parents of this generation that you're speaking of, and the parents, I think, had those values, but also tended to work themselves almost to death mm-hmm. and, you know, to try to have everything for their kids. And um, mm-hmm. they, you know, they gave all the kids six six things a day to go and do the soccer and the dance and the, you know, baseball and whatever. And um, so they, but they worked themselves so hard. And the kids looked at this and said, well, so what's the point? You're never around and you're exhausted all the time. And, but you say that, you know, knowing yourself is important and that, you know, loving me is important and you tell me these things. And so, Excuse me. So it seems like they they got it. The kids got it. They went, well, I see this, and that makes sense. But that part doesn't make sense. So they're kind of designing their own way of being. And um, I think you're right. It is hanging out there untapped, and it's waiting to be tapped. And um, it, it will be powerful, you know, and the kind of work you're doing definitely taps into it. Now, you've talked a little bit about some of the capacities. I want to get to these seven um, theory U leadership capacities, and you've you've touched on a few of them throughout the conversation. Um, but the first one you call holding the space of listening. Now, you know, I mean, you and I have been in the field of leadership for a long time, as have a lot of people listening to this, and the idea of quote active listening. Um, is something that has been talked about forever and ever. What is different about the concept of active listening that's been taught for years in holding the space of listening? Well, uh, first off, uh, it has a lot of overlap. So, so let's begin with that, and that's important. So, so I am actually um, um, so 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 I'm not even interested in kind of. Uh, uh, Framing stuff as particularly new. I think the more you can relate it to already existing hmm. things, uh, the more it is practical sometimes because you that you can sense. already build on something right. that has been developed. Right now, um, what's probably uh, so the kind of listening. Um, uh, uh, if we just take a minute uh, on, on this listening space, um, I. I think there are three levels that are quite familiar um, uh, and that I, I, I usually differentiate, and that's kind of the downloading, it's listening with an open mind, listening precisely, and then it's the listening, um, the what we usually call empathic listening, listening with an open heart. Now, I, I think this, uh, the holding the space of listening, um, if uh, at the outset, as a leadership capacity, I think it's... Um, it, 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 it's, it's maybe what I see usually where we need to pay more attention to is a fourth level, which is not just empathic listening, but listening from an emerging future. Hmm. So that's what the real world-class coaches do, right? Yeah. So you, you not, so that's what you try to, you focus on not just the dying or the letting go. Mm-hmm. In, in a developmental situation, you focus on what it is that's just about to emerge. Right. And right. it's a particular way to attend. Mm-hmm. And the great, uh, greatest listeners I know, the greatest coaches I know, they have that ability. So to, to attend to that, to intentionally yeah. place yeah. your attention on um, who 
that other person that's in front of you mm. could become. Mm. So on that kind of emerging space. Mm. So that's a particular skill. It can be learned and trained and developed just as em- empathic listening. Mm. But very often we, we confuse these two. Right. So that's one. And the other one is that uh, here um, uh, in practical, developmental, and entrepreneurial work, it's all about really... Um, mixing the listening to yourself to listening, kind of listening to your own uh, inner self, uh, uh, blending that with listening to key stakeholders in the situation you are dealing with, and then creating collective spaces of listening because listening often is done in small settings, but how kind of bring people together and how to, as a group, as an emerging core group to uh, 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 discover this common ground that I think in practical situations is often lacking and it, it's like kind of in a, if you compare social development with a plant right it's like the root system right, right? right so we tinker with the leaves and all these other things but that's the real root system so if that deeper listening capacity isn't there how do we expect that uh, plant to, uh, to flourish? Right, right. Uh, so that's, that's why listening here mm. is um, uh, named as the first capacity. Mm. Well, that, that really helps to ground this, I, I think. And the other piece that I want to talk about when we come back from break is the concept of sensing and the concept of presence. You have some interesting things to say about that. And we'll be back right after this message. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? How can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch and so can you the winner's attitude with jeff and val g broadcast each friday at 8 a.m pacific 11 a.m eastern on the voice america business channel the winner's attitude switch me on listen wherever you are 24-hour business and financial news solid focused and informed the leader in business talk voice america business at VoiceAmerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We have with us today Otto Scharmer, the author of Theory U, Leading from the Future as it Emerges. This is a new book, huh, Otto? This is 2007 published, right? That's right. It just came out. Oh, yeah. So you've been doing a lot of research on this for a while. I know that you have, um, I love this word that you've, you've 
you're using and you've coined called presencing. And you talk about it as being a blending of the words presence and sensing. Can you talk a little bit about, now, no, let me back up a little bit. Your previous book that you co-authored was titled Presence, an Exploration of Profound Change in People, Organizations, and Society. So you've been talking about presence for a long time now. And, um, but how did you get to the, to the presence and sensing being so important together? Well, I, I think, um, because I have seen, uh, developmental situations um, in myself, in others, but also in groups particularly, where um, when the real shift happens, it's often a very subtle shift um, that relates to how you look at a situation, whether it's, um, you know, when any kind of change process really. I mean, I, I take any kind of company, global company today or uh, a smaller one, and then you have all these developmental situations, they all deal about the same thing, which is the people, that there's a lot of change going on, and people holding on to their peace, right? To the old right. identity, to their old, uh, to that part of the structure that they own. And this holding on to the old structure is really uh, preventing um, for the whole to evolve in more effective and to operate in more effective ways. So what is it that then leaders do um, uh, faced with that situation? You help people to basically uh, see the larger whole, to let go of that smaller piece and tune into and find your place in the emerging new configuration. So that's the real change work, right? Uh, to go through that process of observing, kind of redirecting your attention to look at that situation, not just from your your own point of view, but from the viewpoint of the other key stakeholders, and then to let go of the things you have been holding on to in order to open up to that to that kind of letting come process whereby new stuff begins to happen. And um, so a lot, a lot has to do with that kind of uh, deeper presence. So when you go to that shift, it's kind of you're shifting the source from where you operate. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I saw that, uh, and when I saw people, uh, particularly entrepreneurs and innovators, share about really the, the, uh, when people, when things shifted in their own journey and when they begin to tap into the deeper life's purpose and begin to operate uh, on a much higher level of effectiveness, I thought, well, this is really, this is really something very profound that's going on. It's a subtle shift, and it's uh, a shift in terms of how we show up. Uh, yes. In a situation, how we are present with a situation, and um, and kind of uh, what the source is from where we begin to operate is that kind of based on holding on to what I was owning in the past, or am I opening up and beginning to operate from something that's just about to emerge? Mm-hmm. So that kind of shift on a source level, I realized is something very important and very precious for people. And many people even don't talk about that until you really have um, built up a rather uh, a more kind of a, a trust and a more intimate uh, atmosphere right. of conversation. Right. Right. And I noticed that there's not a word for that. Um, and uh, because I think it is a distinctive, it's a very, uh, very important um, way how we can operate. It's a very essential way how we can operate as human beings. Um, it deserves a word. Uh, it deserves to be. Um, um, it, it, it deserves kind of to be uh, made co- more aware of and more conscious of with a word. And I was when I kind of looked that up. I was actually. Uh, uh, presencing is actually I saw that I didn't uh, invent that word myself I saw it in a a French guy translating Heidegger into English (laughs) so he came up with that word and I I saw that word I thought well that's really interesting that could be so that could be and then Uh I googled that so that's um, quite a number of years ago I googled that and you know what came up what Um, 
something uh, where uh, there was a, there was almost nothing. I mean, there was a yeah. little, little Heidegger piece, and then there was um, um, uh, nurses talking. It was about um, um, it was about kind of giving birth to something new and kind of. Oh, dealing with oh, patients in a oh, very intimate way, so who are at the edge of of uh, uh, moving on, or kind of uh, you know where yeah. kind of life and death comes together. Yeah. So there was a conversation around that. When I saw these two things, I thought, well, that's definitely the right kind of word, and that's the right kind of context because this presencing it means sensing. So that's one sensing an emerging future possibility. That's wanting to emerge through us. And presence means, that's the second word, connecting that to the now. And so, so now you, you have presencing. Yeah. Which is, I love the presencing institute you've created. Um, you describe as a global action research university that integrates science, consciousness, and profound social change. And I know there's so much more that we could be talking about this. I w- I'm so curious about um, how this is unfolding with you, and I know people are so interested. So there is a website for the Presencing Institute, right? That's right. It's um, uh, a presencing.com, and that has a number. So that's, uh, we just started that, and it has a number of resources and uh, that will be kind of uh, a main infrastructure to connect people amongst each other and give access to methods and tools who want to continue and deepen their work into this direction. Wow, that's fantastic. Otto Scharmer, thank you so much for being with us today. Your new book, Theory U, Leading from the Future as it Emerges, is available from your website and also from um, most bookstores, I believe. And um, Otto, you're going to have to come back and let us know in a few months from now how things are going with Presencing and the Presencing Institute. Um, I'd like to remind everyone that we're here every week and we're bringing big thinkers to uh, big conversations and it's your job to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters this is Cheryl Esposito thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and leading conversations you can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel if you have a question or comment for Cheryl please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com that's l-e-a-d-i-n-g c-o-n-b-e-r-s-a-t-i-o-n-s at a-l-e-x-s-a-c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g dot com see you next week